Hello and welcome to this episode of Sligo Sounds. I'd first like to thank Thomas Connolly's in Sligo for allowing me to record this episode on their premises. In this episode I talked to Colin Gillen. Colin is a well-known photographer, promoter and musician in Sligo. We talk about him playing in Tenneke Station, the right environment for the perfect photo shoot, and we also look back on some stories and history of Barry's and Grange. So, here we go. Welcome, Colin, to Sligo Sounds Podcast. Thanks very much for this episode. I was just wondering if you could tell me and the listeners a little about yourself in terms of where you're from, what you do in Sligo. Okay, so I'm from Grange, lived in Grange most of my adult life. I suppose now at this moment in time I'm photographer, stroke videographer, stroke musician uh, is kind of where my interest and incomes come from at the moment, so that's kind of where I'm at. Cool. Which came first, picture or sound, in terms of photography or music? No, sound first, but I've always had an inkling, you know, I always could see stuff happening that could be captured or should be captured but before I even picked up a camera there was no one around me that I knew as a photographer and I would have never considered it as something you could do for a living so I was on a career path at that time that wasn't directly related to music at all but it was music that brought me back it was true music that I actually started taking photos then to record and document what was happening so I was on a different career path, but it was music that took me to what I'm doing now as well. So music kind of first, yeah. Okay, um, and what, what was your first instrument? I suppose the first instrument that I wanted to play, and the, well, the only instrument that I played, you know, was guitar. But again, there wasn't many people around. There was some lessons going in a local school. You know, I wasn't let go. Or I, I know I showed an interest, but I wasn't, at that time, I wasn't allowed to go or I wasn't... It wasn't on the radar for me. So the first instrument I would have picked up was a bowron, and my grandfather was a bowron player. Okay. And he used to make bowrons from uh, Lahinch County Clare. Right. So that also started me listening to traditional music. Through my interest of seeing him playing it, that's when I started listening to trad music. Mm. And, then, uh, and then the journey of the trad, because it was through trad then that I would have found the folk music, and through the folk music and the other musics. Oh, you're you're involved in a couple of projects such as uh, Tenneke Station. Yeah. Um, and obviously, people know you from around Sligo, as you were saying, photography, yeah. videography. So, in relation to that, like when you're when you're taking photos, like you're capturing an atmosphere. Yeah. But also playing music, uh, you're actually creating that atmosphere. Yeah. So, which is easier? I wouldn't say there's an easier part to either of them because I've been asked to take photos at gigs for bands. But if the venue isn't right, there's no point. Uh, you know, I mean, every musician either plays, you know, they get to play the pub gigs or they play the cafe gigs or then they go on to theatres or gigs or concerts in venues. Mm. If you're booking for any band, I suppose, if there's any young bands listening to this, if you're going to invest in photos, you know, it's not every gig you're going to get the right atmosphere or the right looking shots. And that's sometimes the difference. So for me, I uh, you know I'd rather shoot in the venue, the venue first, so that the atmosphere is right for the band and the image, the lights, everything. Then also comes into play. So a lot of the times, it's it's not just shoot a band; it's where are you playing and, and what's the atmosphere like. So yeah. that, and that that that'll be shown in the photos mm. rather than like you know just a bad bad background or a, you know you don't want to be playing up against a cigarette machine or a jukebox or you know it just if you want it to look right. You know, it's the venue as well as that. So you have to create that. Music-wise, exactly the same thing. We could be playing in loads of pub gigs. It's not kind of where we, you know, ultimately every musician wants to listen to and not be background music. So for us, creating the place we play in, we'll bring in a bit of lighting as well to kind of create the atmosphere. And so I'm always watching as well as trying to play. I'm trying to... Are we facing the right way to engage with it? Because some bars will put you into a corner where they think you should be mm. might be the best place for the band yeah. so you know I'm always looking in pubs where's the best place for the band to play Where? Sh- how should it be lit how should it sound all of that so it's I don't be thinking of just one thing it's yeah. a million things it's really good cool. uh, which is the most satisfying in uh, terms of photography or music 
Well, it's like everything. It's like if if you play the right gig and the gig goes well, gig is great. If you working with the right people to take the photos, because yeah, that's the other thing is you have to be able to get you know work with the person. Mm -hmm. So if if they come loaded with ideas that may or may not work, it's very hard to sway them. Again, it's down to the individual job or the individual gig, but both you know, there's a lot of enjoyment in both getting it right. Yeah, very cool. Um, so where did the name uh, Tanaki Station come from? You have to go to a gig to find that out. <laughs> <laughs> there is a, there is a story to it, and I suppose the short version is that it's a place in Alaska that has nothing to do with anything that we do. Only that we're gonna contact them and tell them we have the name and get a gig out of it sometime. Yeah. But it's uh, a song we wrote about the place we grew up in and gigging it for one of the first times in Dublin. I said, This is where I grew up, and I sang the song without giving, there's no mention of a name place in the song or we had no title for it. And a fella came up to me afterwards and he goes, I know where that song is from or where it's about. Wow. And I says, Where? And so through the imagery of it, he said to me, it's Tenneke. And I says, where the hell is Tenneke? So I had to look it up on the internet and yeah, sure enough, Tenneke, Alaska. So it has nothing to do with the, but we did call the song that, we called the song Tenneke Inlet. Mm. Just because if it reminded somebody of one place, it could remind people of any place. So it was an interesting name, it was an interesting part of the song. And then when Nicola and I, see Nicola and I gigged together years ago, like we've always, she's always been like my, the second voice to my voice, like, so when we were first kind of touring original music, and um, it was me and Nicola, just the two of us on the guitar, and then over the years things evolved and we, you know, worked with different, tried working with different bands, and then we're kind of back to me and Nicola where we're just bringing in the different players. Mm. So we were trying to come up with, for a name that could be kind of a collective name, that it wasn't the Gillens or it wasn't Colin and Nicola. Mm. And one day driving to a gig then, we says, what about Tenneke? Both of us nearly at the same time, because we were saying, we have to have a name for this gig. We were going to a gig and we had no name. So Tenneke, and then the station then actually has another influence on us because it's after Station Road in La Hinch, Clare, where my grandparents are from. Mm. And that also was a musical influence for us my grandfather playing the Bowron, so it became Tenneke Station. Mm. That's really so that's, And that's the short version. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there'll be an uncut version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you were saying, it's like you, you do write your own music. Yeah. Which comes first, lyrics or melody? Yeah, I suppose lyrics for us and for me, but the problem being that like you're your own worst critic, and I'd be very critical. So the few songs that I do sing, for me, they mean something. I've thrown away more songs than I've kept. And then I'd just be a big fan of people that can write stories, that songs that have a story. They're the songs that I admire the most, and they're the songs that we like to sing in the gigs. So mm. we sing a lot of songs that we love, and it's not whether the audience wants to hear them. They're the ones we love as opposed to... So, you know, we're not going to be the jukebox. We're yeah. going to do what we like doing and play to the audience that we want to play to. Mm. And it sounds like, you know, you're you're above something, but it's not. It's because that's where the most enjoyment for us comes from. If that's the type of music we want to play, that's what we enjoy. Yeah. Well, I guess even most most people when they start out bands, they want to play music that they want to play. Yeah, yeah. You know, they want, they want to play for people and yeah, show what, yeah, what yeah. they love and stuff. So I guess, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, no. You know, it's a great... It's yeah, yeah. I suppose, yeah, it's just that I'd be kind of fussy where we play and what we play then, mm. like right or wrong that's just the way I kind of am about it so the original songs the ones we've kind of held on to have meaning for us they're not too abstract but we've loads of ideas for new stuff and it's actually the biggest problem is getting the time to write yeah. I've loads of ideas but it's to actually take time away from everything else mm. and and like craft the songs yeah. or write the songs so. well, considering as well that you you do a lot of creative stuff apart from music yeah yeah I guess yeah. it's hard to kind of put your yeah your it's the same it's a, it's kind of the same as you'd be driving along the road and you'll see a photograph mm. you can turn the bend in the road and you'll see a photograph and you go, I haven't time to get out of the van and take that photograph. Mm. I'll have to come back to it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the same as songwriting. And it's the same, the song, the lyrics will come to you. 
could be the middle of the night, he used to try and write them down in the dark, he used to try and record them on the phone, different things. But sometimes you're so busy that you push it away and go, no, I'll do that again. But I think the more you do that, the more you suppress the ideas and the songs. Yeah. So it's try and get back to a point where you can let the lyrics flow and then try and put the music on to it. Yeah, it's yeah. cool. Um, so, uh, and who else is in Telecom Station? So, uh, well, it's myself and my sister. We kind of we kind of tried this model of going forward, whereby for any given gig we can bring in the musicians that we want to. Okay. And that also gives us kind of a creative freedom and a sound that we can shape. So it's not going to be the same sound all the time. So um, one musician that we work a lot with is a lad called Peter Gallagher from Swinford. Mm. And Peter actually just jumped up on stage with us one night, played a few songs. Then he started depping for one of the other guitar players in the band, in the old band. And then from that, then it just evolved that he was available. And it's sometimes it's kind of availability of all these musicians because there's great musicians out there and we'd love to play with them all but they're all they're busy themselves so and that's great yeah so if if we know we we need a four piece we'll ring around and we'll see who's out there and then that makes it exciting for us because there's new energy comes into the set that's worked for us on a few occasions and that's kind of where we want to keep it so peter gallagher would be the the main guitar player with us at the moment on most of the stuff and he also sees that he's evolving the sound of the band as well, which is great. From that, then I think we're just going to build on it. Then yeah. So yeah. you are you are kind of starting the process of uh, writing songs as a band. Yeah, that's that's the next thing now, and recording. And I suppose what happened was when Peter came into the band, we would have had between myself and Nicola maybe 60, 70 songs that we would gig. Mm. And this is what takes time. It doesn't matter how many rehearsals you put in. It's gigs under your belt that makes the, the sound tight. And I have to say, at the moment, we would have like such a strong body of songs that gel so that when we like strike, strike a chord now, Peter knows what song we're on. Mm. He knows what key we're coming into. But he has his part down. That's only because we've gigged a lot over the last year. Yeah. And I, it doesn't matter how often a band rehearses, you have to gig even for any young bands if they just get out and gig anywhere once you've one person listening mm. that's when you actually step up your game and it kind of cements all the rehearsals into it into yeah. the song and so now like we're just really enjoying the full set we have there's the need now to evolve it and move on yeah, yeah that's cool yeah. You, you gave a partial bit of advice there for any young musicians yeah yeah what's the best advice given by another musician well I suppose there'll be lots of bits of advice because um, I, I haven't always played I've I played years ago then I took a back seat because I got involved with promoting music mm-hmm. um, and then that kind of satisfied my need for music for a long long time and it wasn't kind of till that journey or that door that project kind of finished that I went back playing music. I don't know if it's music to music or musician to me that's any advice, but there's one thing that I have kind of learned, and it's kind of like, it's not everybody can play. This is more of a self-confidence thing, advice for anybody that kind of questions what they can do. It's not everyone can sing, it's not everyone can play guitar, and it's definitely not everyone can write a song. Because there's a lot of great musicians out there that don't write songs. So it's kind of, you have to do what you do, whether they're good, bad, whatever they are, mm. it's not everybody can do them. So keep doing it. Mm. How you deliver your song and how you perform it is also something that you don't just do the first night out. It's a craft, you learn it. I suppose I do all the talking in our band between songs and I've seen good musicians being able to talk and engage an audience. And so I've learned that from them, not yeah. as advice, but I've watched other musicians. So my advice to any musicians is keep doing what you're doing. Go to lots of gigs. You can't go to enough gigs to learn from what the other people are doing. And it might be learned not to do something, but it might also be learned that's a good way of doing something. Yeah. Or, you know. So going to gigs is more important than anything else, I think, ever for any young musician to that's learn. That's really good, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's great and, advice. And your confidence. And you have to talk to yourself. Sometimes you have to talk to yourself. We've got up on big stages, stages that you think are too big for you. Right, so this is a confidence thing. And you have to just really look around the room and go, well, it doesn't matter how good you are, we're on the stage right now, and we have some talent over and above. Some of the members that are on, some of them can't play, some of them can't sing. So they all want to be able to sing and play. They all want to be where you are. Yeah. Whereas at that moment in time, you're there, so you just 
go for it, close your eyes, sing your song, do your play your music. But the more times you do that, it's the same as going to gigs and learning. The more times you gig yourself, you also learn from it. That's, it. That's great. Um, what's the greatest question you can ask as a creative person? Like that, that's in terms of music or photography. Oh, or what's your budget? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... <laughs> well, you'll always... Right, so even no matter what you do with music, like if you're doing sound for a band, you ask them, you know, what you want. Like asking a band, are they okay? Can they hear themselves? Because you don't know what they want. There's no sound engineer knows what another musician wants. Mm. So you have to ask them. So you're just asking them and talking to them. If if anybody comes in even for a photo shoot, like I need some little inkling of what they do, what they're into, yeah. then you can tailor your ideas towards it. So it's very hard to say, you know, bands, bands often say, well, we're going to do a photo shoot and we know a good location. I need to either see that location first to have an even feel for it because the wall they might think they're going to stand against mm. might not be the wall for the photo. Yeah. Um, but then every everybody has their own take on it. So it's just you have to talk to the person or the person you're going to work with to get an idea. And then you got to let the ideas develop. Mm. and that's then you'll come up with something so only other bit that I'll say to that is sometimes the idea might seem too big but the effort you put into making that idea happen could be the greatest thing mm. because we often come up with ideas and we let them go and that's kind of a confidence thing too you kind of go ah, it's a great idea but you're ah, geez, who'd get involved with it or who you know how do you make that if you don't keep pushing yourself forward you don't get to the point where it is going to be a great idea because yeah. having the idea is only one part you have to make it happen then you know, mm. it's again confidence and believing in yourself and get the people involved and get everyone working together because you won't always you know make a big idea happen in yourself so being collaborative and involving other people sometimes is the way yeah that's really cool yeah um, who would you most like to perform with um, I'd have to say Anthony Mannion. <laughs> and, uh, I think if you're, if, you're, uh, yeah, if you're going to include this, every, everything you asked me, who inspired me, it's Anthony Mannion. <laughs> and he knows why. <laughs> um, who would I like to play with? Oh, I don't know. See, again, and I think this is a confidence thing, I've, over the years, Gwyn, and you might be asked to join in a session or whatever, and... I'm always kind of in awe of the musicians that's already there, that's why I'm there to hear them. So for me it's not a case of having to play music, I don't always have that urge to play music. I have a very strong sense they'll be listening all the time, mm. live music. Not I've struggled to kind of put on CDs and listen to them unless I'm going on a drive, because I'm always doing something else anyways. I think for me it's yeah, just to sit in and to, to hear any musician acoustically, you know, up close is the thing for me. I don't have to play with them, yeah. you know, I don't have to be strumming the guitar, but if they're playing and I'm listening, then I'm happy, you know, so I, any musician, like, you know. So Anthony Mannion. Anthony. <laughs> um, what song would you have loved to have written? There's loads, there is really loads, and quite a few of them. And I suppose that's it, that's the songs that we sing, the, the other people's songs that we sing are the songs I love to have written. And then, you know, when you look at how well they're crafted and how well they're written, you're like, that's why I've thrown away so many of my songs, because they're not where they could be. Mm. But that goes against what I, you know, I kind of say, like, because no matter what you write, even if it's four lines of a poem, it can mean something to you or to somebody else. So write it, put it down, put it somewhere. So I'm just hypercritical because the songs I love are the real, the ones that tell like this amazing story, you know. And I'll always, always be trying to achieve that. Mm. So that's kind of where that is. So no particular song. Uh, not any one. No, not any one song okay. at all. No. And it's like there recently another musician said to us, here's a song with Sue, he played with us, I'll mention Dave Carty, bass player, he was playing with us at a gig recently and I suppose he heard the sound we were producing and then he said, there's a song with Sue G. So as soon as I heard it, he was so right and we, we started doing it only, very, only in the last week 
and already we're getting a good reaction to it. So he was right, he could hear the sound we were trying to, so that song would be a song, and I never even heard it before until you mentioned it. Um, and then everyone's, and I must do that more often because I have a few people that have told us there's a song at Suchi, and you don't always look for them yeah. because you're all, it, there's not enough time to learn all the songs I want to learn either. That's and that's part of the problem. So if a song gets learned, and then by the time you're ready to sing that song in public, and deliver it and cement it because again you can rehearse it all you want until it's played live in front of one person or ten people or twenty people it's not going to cement into your psyche is enough and yeah. so before we even get to that point I, have a lot, I spend a lot of time with the song then as well so you have to really love the song to want to play it for me anyway mm. Do you use photography in terms of like pictures? Would you use that for inspiration for lyrics um, and music? No, what you see yourself, not so much, like I have a couple of favourite photos but they haven't translated into songs, mm. stories more or things people say, like even just a, one line, like I read, a, I read a line the other day, it was actually another musician described something but within his description there's another song there as well and, and so sometimes it's just a line of what you want to hear, sometimes it's a place or a person or a memory. So not so much photos, but uh, you know I have some photos that are just a moment in time. They're not a full song either, you know. Yeah. You have to look within. It's like you have to look within the photo to to take a story out of it. Then, like yeah. Yeah. So as we were saying earlier on, that, that you were involved in the promotional side of mm. music as well. Yes. Um, I was just wondering how a lot of people would know that that you were involved with Barry's and Grange. Yeah. So just wondering how. Did that happen? Okay, um, so it's ha- 14 or 15 years ago. Uh, there was an opportunity to get involved. There was a pub for sale. An opportunity to get involved with it, and I did. I went into it from the point of view that there was a room off the main bar. I felt could be a place to listen to music. Mm-hmm. So it's not every bar makes a venue lots of bars try to be venues but if it's if you're bringing an artist whereby if you had to over and above the business if you had to create a room that people could just listen to music mm. and I said you know I knew there was a room off the main bar in Barry's that had that so it was an opportunity it was music driven that's why I got involved so we started there and I remember putting on the first gig in the room and at the time it was an old lounge mm. on an old pub and the room had a carpet and curtains that could be in your grandmother's house and you know you talk about creating an atmosphere for yeah. bands so there was a small kind of stage there all right that was carpeted and the wallpaper everything about the place was wrong but the room itself but just over a period of time and bringing in musicians it evolved to where we actually restructured the whole place. Spent three years thinking about that room and how it would work, how the back section would be higher than the middle section so that if you were standing or sitting, you could still have a view of the stage, the angle of the stage. I even put the bar slightly around the corner that if the barman is taking change or clinking glasses, that visually he wasn't impacting on the artist and I didn't want people walking by. There was loads of places I could see music, but to go to the toilet or to come in the door, you had to walk by the musicians. And in the room in Barry's, the main door was actually where close to where the stage is. So then we reversed the whole premises in that you had to come into the back of the room. Yeah. The bar was at the back of the room, off to the side, a small bar so that it wouldn't congregate a load of people. You know, you could get your drink, but you had to move to a chair or yeah. a table then. And so all that took me like three years looking at the room, um, watching the people in the room react with the room and the musicians react with the room. And then we built the venue around that. Yeah, it was a great venue. Yeah, Absolutely yeah, no, and, and that was the thing. So, and that was the period in, in my life where I didn't, I played very little music, but I got to hear so much music from all around the world. And that kind of satisfied my need for music. I was still going to gigs, because there was still artists that I wanted to get or couldn't get that I would go and see gigs or festivals but to bring the musicians into the place was such for me like I mean sure it was like bringing them into your sitting room you could sit there in your own environment 
and a, and a good environment and that was the thing the, the room sounded good naturally but it was comfortable to listen to the band you weren't worried about toilets or bartenders or and that was the other thing even though all the bar staff over the years got to know to be quiet to serve quietly yeah. not to you know to be banging stuff that there was something else more important and probably to the detriment of the bar <laughs> that the music was mo was the most important thing it wasn't background that was the most important thing I guess a lot of venues didn't really think about that. Though, no, no. Well, see, this, if you put music over and above a business, it's hard to make money, you know, no matter what you do. So we play, and this is a thing that we Like, we play in places that serve food up until half nine, ten o'clock. Mm. And then they want you started at ten o'clock. So they don't see the benefit of clearing a table an hour beforehand so that you have time to set up get your sound right and get playing mm. whereas you know the, for them to cover that table for dinner that the, the money that they're taking on that table is your wages so we have to understand why can't they clear that table and yeah. let us in an hour early just to be ready and then they they're going well, why can't the band start bang on 10 o'clock so this it's even though you might agree that with the bar manager or whatever the people on the floor don't see the difference in that yeah. and that sometimes is like kind of a bone of contention for me that like I'd be looking at the bigger picture trying to go well to keep your customers on we need to start as soon as they're finished their meal but you're not giving us time to be set up mm. so where's the compromise of, of a good space for a band to play and set up and for the food to discontinue but for the music to continue straight away yeah. so it's you know I guess it's a half and half kind of thing yeah, well there's a compromise, compromise but yeah. it's not every pub <coughs> is a venue Mm. They might have live music or be putting on music, but it doesn't make them a venue. Yeah. You know, and that's you know places call themselves venues, but they're a pub with music, mm. and so a venue is comfortable for the lis listener, but more importantly that the musician is comfortable. Yeah. You know, and and can do what he's there to do. Yeah, that's cool. Um, could you name some of the people that played in bars? Some of the artists, some bands. Of, yeah. Um, well, there's way too many to just mention but um, Anthony Mannion <laughs> everybody uh, I suppose some of the more iconic ones for me personally because I would have listened to them and heard them um, and I remember one time being in America and watching a country singer on TV a guy called um, Kevin Montgomery and literally 15 years later he's playing in the venue so I'm watching on Country Music USA whatever the program was thinking wow that's really cool and you know 15 years later he's in the venue but I've luckily enough that I had John Martin play there I've had um, I, I can't even think of all the names like um, another iconic night that we had amazing music was Richie Havens played Open Woodstock or whatever in you know, 1969 or whatever year, and I was at that gig. You were at that, yeah. and like there's nights like that that you know I was lucky enough to know I get to know a couple of agents that were bringing in these bands, and they were bookending tours with bigger gigs or festivals, and then we were on the journey in between, so we could get a band on a Tuesday, Wednesday night. These guys were then going off to go with Belfast or Dublin to play sold out gigs. You know, the weekends, mm. and we had a midweek to a small audience, intimate audience. These lads would often sit back afterwards, have a few pints, chat, and I suppose a lot of the people I know now or are friends with would have been musicians that would have played in the place over the years. And mm. it's not just going in for them, it, all, it never was just go in and play. There was a bit of hospitality there. We were there, my family would be there. You know, they came in and they kind of got to know people in the place yeah. within that night and the next morning if they stayed over. A lot of them stayed over at the time. So they'd get to know the area, they'd get to know the people and then they'd want to come back. And I, most, most musicians did come back for mm. a second or third run of it, yeah. Well, I guess just, just the actual feel of the place yeah. I guess, made them want to come yeah. and, and how friendly people were towards yeah. them. Yeah. I guess it was an escape as well from the, the usual tour. Yeah, because you know. and you see, we done two, we done two tours ourselves of Ireland. And part of the reason I did the tour with Nicola, my sister, was to see the other venues out there. It was kind of when I was re researching what I could do with Barry's. We'd go into a venue and there was no one there to even greet you with a cup of coffee or tea. Yeah. You'd wait for someone, a cleaning staff, to open the door 
then you were there, then you were waiting for the engineer, the engineer come in, he could be having a good or bad day, mm. but it wasn't his place and it wasn't his place to be a hostie either. Yeah. So I think that little bit of, and I think you get it in small venues as opposed to big venues, but that little bit of the host, and it's down to the promoters themselves, the larger promoters, you know, they're not going to be as personable as a small time promoter because they're there to meet and greet the artists and look after them and make sure they're staying somewhere mm. and fed and all that, you know. So we done. I kind of done my research going around, and that's what I think a lot of the artists enjoyed about coming to Barry's was we were, you know, there was people there to greet them and meet them and yeah. get on with them. You know, it's that's it. I mean, if you if you create something like that, yeah. then obviously people will come back. But yes, yeah. it's it's not about being centre of attention, but it's actually just being recognised. Yeah, yeah, that you're there for. An event or a gig, absolutely. You know, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. the comfort of knowing yeah. that somebody else. And they could be driving all day from Dublin or Galway, yeah. and then just come in and, and have that cup of tea and that conversation. You know, it's it adds to their day, anyways. I know that for sure. You know. Mm. So how how do you think um, in turn? Well, I, I guess we were just talking about it there slightly, but how, how do you think the music venues have changed since you started? Like out in Barry's. Um, well, I suppose over the years. Um, a lot of the, the smaller pub venues have, have either changed hands or gone out of business for being in business, for being a pub business. Mm. So that's that was the point I was saying earlier on that like, you know, music isn't going to make your pub, you know, it's only part of it, like the business has to be there first as well. So a lot of pubs as businesses have struggled and a lot of them closed. I remember the first time I heard of an iconic pub venue closing in Cork was the lobby. Mm. And I suppose I would, it would have been on my radar because a lot of the artists I would have liked listening to were playing this lobby in Cork. And then I heard it closed. And then over the years I would have heard of different places closing or changing ownership or different things happening. And um, eventually it came to Barry's time, you know, to close. Mm. And I was talking to a fella that was over and back to England that had pub venues over there and had gone through times like that before, you know, 10, 15 years before me. And the one thing he said, and I heard him say it on the night, but it didn't, um, it di you know, it didn't mean to anything to me at the time, but he said to me, he says, you see all those musicians that came to Barry's? He goes, they didn't come because it was Barry's, they came because you were there, you put on the gigs, you made Barry's a music venue. Mm. So he goes, it's not the bricks and mortar. He says, if you move somewhere else, they'll follow you. They'll go to wherever you are. And I heard him that night and I kind of, while I took it on board, it took me a while for the process even that thought. Yeah. And then that's what kind of led me on to still promoting some music, but not having Barry's. Yeah. So Barry's closed, had to get over that. It's kind of like a grieving process. You become, mm. It becomes part of you. Um, you become part of it and then you let it go when you learn to let go I remember then one Sunday evening going I need to put on some music I need to, you know there were still bands contacting me looking to play and where else could they play and then I was going there's pubs there's, but there's not a lot of good rooms so then I kind of went I'll go and I'll find a couple of rooms and I'll see if I can put on so that then evolved into the Roots Room which you may have heard of which I was going to ask you about yeah you. so that it's kind of me promoting music in rooms that I feel can give the artist the best environment to play in mm. and for the audience member the best environment to listen in. Yeah. So it's not I'm not gonna put on something in a room that I don't feel is gonna work. Yeah. You know, I might try it but I have to have a kind of an inkling that it'll work in the first place. And then, you know, I just I wouldn't recommend a lot of bands going into certain pubs or certain because they're not going to enjoy the gig as much as they could. Yeah. Um, if there was one thing you could change, I guess, about the whole thing, what would it be? About? Just just in general, like even a, as you're saying, maybe about venues or even... Um, I don't know. Imagine a world where everybody um, supported music, like where musicians were valued more and this is the thing you could have the best trad players playing a trad session and people will talk over it mm. those musicians to be truly appreciated either have to go into a concert environment on a larger scale or tour in Europe 
and so the Europeans they'll go sit and listen to Irish music whereas we might do the same for music that's visited in our country like bluegrass, Americana we'll want to go because it's not so things that I'd like to see change over the years would be more support for musicians um, more pay for musicians there's definitely some musicians fall into a category where they're creating amazing music and I think the government should recognise that more and that should give them you know, some income mm. uh, be recognised that they get paid for their ability to play at the high level they play at um, that can give them time to actually go and be more available to play the gigs because I know great musicians out there that have to work <laughs> to like a day job mm. so that they can even play their music yeah. and imagine an environment whereby you get recognised for your skill and you can play and then musicians supporting musicians is a big thing that if a cork band of trad musicians or, or a cork band comes up here that we should naturally network every musician in Sligo should share every you know on social media if they can every other musicians post about gigs to spread the word but we don't do a lot of it mm. and it's hard to do it and there is some musicians in Sligo who are really really good at it Jerry Grennan I like the way some of the venues even cross share stuff and that's important too because you mightn't have a crowd one night because you have a band on but the next night you will and the other place up the road mightn't have it so I like seeing collaborations people working together and getting over whatever they feel it is because an audience is going to move around anyway yeah. so why not make that environment open that they can move around a bit make it healthy I guess as well. yeah, yeah, you know, yeah 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 keep it keep Take the atmosphere yeah. is such kind of fresh and yeah, and 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 but I'm talking about places that you know are looking to support as much live and original music as possible because mm. there's loads of super pubs that can afford to pay music and they'll put on big cover bands and they're the great musicians. They are good musicians, but they're having to play that music, whereas they can't create their own music because there's an income there. So it's just. Imagine if all the really good small listening rooms were well supported, that when an artist comes in, that we all could go to it and, and enjoy it. And imagine that world. Like. <laughs> that, yeah. Well, I, I think one of the, one of the, the craziest things, um, a friend of mine um, was shocked to hear that we don't actually do many cover charges as such yeah. around it. Well, uh, I, is well, another thing. Are we spoiled? Yeah, no, we are. We are. But I always had a cover charge. And I'll be blunt about it, I used to call it the bullshit filter, right? So we could have a band on in the back room and a crowd come into the front bar and they're out for a great night out, well and good. What they need is background music just to have a bit of crack. But if they come into the environment and you want to sustain and create an environment where it's listened to, mm -hmm. this is where the cover charge filters out the people that want to listen mm -hmm. and the people that want it as background music. Yeah. So to my detriment at times I could have four or five people there and they go what's on is there a band on yeah I, there's a great band on from Clare from Cork from Dublin from America alright alright what did they play oh, it's, it's great music original music how much in and I'd say well it's 10 euros in alright ok well no we're not going to pay ok I says well do you want to come in I've done it a few times where I go well do you want to come in and listen and then maybe buy a CD afterwards or if you think it's worth it throw something you know that's when you're really a, you're, you're, you can't get over the concept that people won't pay yeah. for good music they're not paying for a cover band they're paying for people that create their own music and it's top quality and they've travelled to be there yeah. and then they won't even throw in the few but I guess that the audience not everybody is as passionate about music or wants to listen to it but it definitely shouldn't be disrespected. And I'm all for people go out for a night out and they want a party band. The party band is there, you party. That's a different cat. When you're put, if you're calling yourself a venue and you're putting on music, you need to create the environment for the band and for the audience mm -hmm. as more as most important. And for me, the cover charge went towards paying the band because we weren't making the money in the bar. And it, I, I used to call the cover charge the bullshit filter mm. because it separated the people that really wanted to listen to and the people that would end up talking over a song at the right wrong time or whatever. Yeah. So, it, you know, yeah. I, I believe in cover charges because it, it gives respect to the music because if it, there's a value on it, mm. 
people will you know hopefully you'd expect and people used to police each other then because somebody might come in and pay in because they had the money and I had people that that tenner in or that 15 in was their pint for the night or you know and and I have every sympathy for them and I used to discount people and I'd know people and you know I'd have people that would generally go to as much music as possible if they never paid on the door mm. that wasn't you know if they only ever talked about the gig after so there was people that I could see were beneficial to the gig that might be able to afford it that wasn't always the issue you know yeah that's I mean you're, to you're totally right in terms of I guess if people are more aware that I mean it is it's not just a pastime for majority musicians you know it is it yeah is. no it's I mean sometimes even even I, I guess even now it's more relevant now even the past couple of years that uh, some venues can't really pay yeah so they have to have to do well that well that i'll i'll try out the other side of the thing then is music musicians often expect the bar to have the money to pay them and the reality is they don't you have to be you have to have a very busy bar be it through food or music to subsidize music or food or or, or bar service to, to subsidize music so there's, but there are bars that are trying to put on music mm. and they can't afford to pay much. There's no right or wrong answer to it. It's always going to be a struggle. Musicians have to sometimes realise that it's not always there. So I've heard musicians give out about bars or venues or owners or whatever. There's two sides to the story. It's not always a one-way street, you know, and I've come from both sides, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, that, that's a really good perspective, as you were saying, yeah. especially with the admission. Yeah. Um, a lot of people wouldn't even think about that. No, no, you know? no. Um, if you could travel back in time and advise a 15 year old Colin, what would you say? Oh, I don't know. I think, um, I don't know because I was on a path then. I think the, the path you're on, you're on for a reason. And you get to where you are. So I don't think I could have changed anything smaller personal decisions maybe but I'm on a path and it's only at the end the day you die is the day you kind of go well that's the day that your your journey has ended what you do along the way is hit and miss but I do and I've I'm proof of it that when one door closes literally you have to look for the door that's opened and find a way of going forward and it takes a little bit of time it's not always clear but when you turn down something that you don't want to do something that you do want to do comes in and sometimes it's having that faith mm -hmm. um, and I've I've been in situations where financially you have to do certain jobs you don't want to do them but financially you have to do them yeah. and it's the same with music photography everything else I've done in my life so it, it gets to the point where if you can trust your instinct and go with your instinct so maybe yeah okay and then I would try and explain to myself what my gut instinct is mm. so the answer to that question is yeah if I could have told myself to listen to my gut instinct and try and know because I didn't know what my gut instinct was back then but now I do well I think I do but I listen to it more now mm. so that that would be the one thing what was 15 year old Colin's favourite CD or tape or vinyl okay. at the time? Yeah, so at the time I was discovering music, I know I, I had friends in school that had older brothers that were passing them on uh, vinyl and tape and stuff like that. So I was kind of coming along and I was only finding out what I like listening to. And this probably would surprise people, but from like 11 years of age, I wanted to play the Bowerang because my grandfather was playing it and he had shown me how to play it so I, w I liked listening to Irish music but I didn't understand it like and we would have been listening to our parents singing country and western songs on a Sunday morning you know that's what that's what their influence was then through the trad music I put on a, a, an LP in a friend's house one night which actually yeah this is, a this is a funny story upstairs in Barry's I was friends with the family and I was friends with their son mm. and upstairs in Barry's when I was only about 16, 17 there was CDs or not CDs, LPs and a record player and we were there one night and we were pulling them out and I looked out at one and it had the Botty band on it 
and I stuck that on. It was a compilation album, and I stuck it on, and I started listening to it, and track after track after track, I was going, wow, wow, wow. And that was the first time I heard the song Arthur McBride, Paul Brady singing it. And so then I was off looking for Paul Brady. Who's Paul Brady? And, and so then that became what I was into at the time, Paul Brady and all that. But then you throw into the mix then like any kind of good, even an Irish country song, sung well is good. And then I remember getting Michael Jackson, the bad album, and then looking back at all their other stuff. And so I uh, went through a phase of Bob Dylan and they were all then slowly, you were discovering stuff. But I wasn't playing music then, like so. I, well, no, I we actually, yeah, we, we I was in a couple of school bands, but I was only learning guitar then, and I didn't have the confidence. Mm. And the one thing that I look back now on is that a lot of the people that had confidence back then and and even were playing music, most of them aren't even playing music now. Whereas it's taken me this journey to get where I am to be playing music and promoting myself and promoting bands and so I still have a huge involvement in it mm. but I never thought back then I would but now I do you know so yeah. it's just I it, music has become me you know kind yeah. of in a way like so it's really good uh, well you know but I'm I'm not I, you see I still struggle with the self confidence and your ability we all can play to a level. We all might want to play to a higher level, mm-hmm. but to me, it's like the so I, the people that I know that don't play music but go to every gig, they're the ones I admire. Then mm-hmm. we in Barry's, we had people coming from, it was couples coming from Enniskillen and from further field for gigs midweek, and had have worked the next day, and that's all they did. Mm-hmm. They drove to gigs, and I admired those people yeah. over, you know, equally with the musicians on the stage because one needed the other. That's true, so. Yeah. Um, when we play music now, we've some friends that come to a lot of our gigs, and like I admire that they like us, and I still question why do they like what we're doing? But obviously we're doing something okay because then they're listening, and that's what you have to remind yourself sometimes that like, you know, there's people. It's not everyone can play, and it's not everyone can do what you do. So if you do any level of it, you know, you have to recognise it. So when I kind of went back playing then and playing for me for you know to, to, as part of my income, um. I had to kind of acknowledge that, well look, I have a skill, I can play guitar to a level, I can use it, I can get paid for that. Yeah. And so that's kind of where we were back playing for money when we were getting, you know, when you are getting money. Yeah. Um, my influences are still, I listen to the same music I listened to then, I'm listening to now. And then all the new music in between then. Cool. Um, what would be your favourite soundtrack? Off, off a film. See, I wouldn't be... Um, I don't know. I don't know because there might be individual songs on a on a film, or if I'm watching a film, I might be watching the cinematography of it. And so, I, soundtracks, I don't know, because um, that's a collective of stuff as such. So soundtracks, I can't say I have one. You know, um, it's individual songs or individual lyrics or. Um, let me try again. Yeah. Favorite movie poster then. Oh, favorite movie poster. I don't know. Well, like a favorite movie. I had a favorite movie years ago that was called State of Grace. Mm. Um, and a couple of my favorite actors, Sean Penn, Robin Wright. Robin Wright was in it. Um, Ed. Uh, can't think of all the guys in it. But that movie struck me the way it, it built the suspense and the tension in it. And that has that for me was one of the first movies. I do tell the story at gigs that when I was really young, about eight or nine, ten maybe, I must have been like half asleep in class, and the teacher wanted to know why, and I had snuck up behind the couch to watch a movie that my father was watching, a country and western. Mm. So I just loved the country and western movies, and I was watching one of them, and it was really violent. It was called Hang 'Em High, mm-hmm. and the next morning my teacher was like. What film were you up watching late last night? I told her, I was, and I says, "Hang 'em high," you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it, um, yeah, I've loads of fa- I not loads. I've certain favorite movies for different reasons, not always the soundtrack or whatever. Mm. But but State of Grace was one of my favorite films for a long time. Yeah. Cool. Um, so you were t- you were talking about, I mean, in terms of what I mentioned about CD or tape or yeah. vinyl or whatever. 
the other question is internet mm. in relation to music and everything creative. Yeah. Do you think it's a blessing or a curse? Um, more of a blessing or more of a curse. That's <laughs> just <laughs> when, well, when Spotify came out first, I, I, and I don't, I don't actively have an account on it. My daughter listens to it, but Spotify because I felt they weren't giving enough money to the artist. I was like, I'm not dealing with this, you know, like. But yeah, you know, I listen to a lot of music, and you know, if I'm researching a song and I want to sing, I look at all the versions online of the live versions and stuff, or the studio versions of songs. So I use YouTube in that regard. And, and I see now how for bands even to get their music out there they nearly have to give it away and it's back now you went away from touring for a few years it was all album sales and now it's back to that so if you're an artist and you have a, a CD of original songs you have to give them away for free basically and you have to gig and sell them at the gigs and that's you know it's not right or wrong um, but how else are you going to get your music out there you there's so much out there. It's the same with image. I, for a magazine or an online magazine to publish images now, like there's no value in them because they have to go through a hundred images a day or a thousand images a day online to satisfy people's needs because it's so accessible. Whereas one time, one photograph in a monthly magazine, a music magazine, that was your shot. That was the time you'd see it. You waited to see the stuff. Whereas now we want it all the time. And again, music becomes background music for some people because it's just on and it's in the background and, you know. So I tend to listen just to CDs when I'm going for a three hour gig, I'll pull out three, three or four old CDs and throw them on and listen to them. Or I listen to, you know, stories on the radio or plays or stuff that's on the radio because it's the only time I get to listen to the radio as well. So kind of keep up to date with stuff that way as well. Mm. But um, anything that engages you, yeah. Really, yeah. So do you do you think it is a blessing or a curse? I, it, I guess it's, it's an evolve. It, we're evolving. It's about. It's like ten years ago. It, see, it doesn't matter what happens now. It's like the door closing or the doors open. You either you see it for what it is and you use it the way it's used, or and some musicians don't understand how to use it or can't use it or whatever. But you, if if you want financial success in that way you have to look at well what's the listener you it's up to what what is the listener listening to mm. if they're all using youtube and spotify and streaming music well then you have to give it to them that way yeah. because that's the way they're listening to it you you know you can't you can't if you're keeping it back you're depriving yourself then yeah. of an audience because if that's where the audience is then you have to give it to them mm. so i can't say it's a blessing or a curse it's just it is the way it is in one sense having music available like that and YouTube and all that you know the band, musicians that are getting famous for just being famous as opposed to being a musician or yeah. an artist or whatever that sometimes is a curse because they're depriving somebody that might be working 10 years and recorded and slogged at music and all that so you know and I've seen these celebrities becoming you know recording artists and but then that's an opportunity they're making most of an opportunity that's presented to them and they're making the most of it so I don't know yeah it is one of them like yeah, it, yeah. I, I, there's, there's no right or wrong no no know. no it's, yeah it's, it's kind of I, I, it's, it is more out of interest and I've asked everybody mm, when I've been yeah, interviewing yeah. with that but it's the same like so if you look at the social media platforms um, you know I've seen I've looked into Snapchat am I going to use it probably not but you know I use the other ones mm. so but if you're not if you're trying to sell something or put something out there you have to be on all of them because the different audiences on all of them as well so that's the same as whether it's free or not or it's out there if you want to be part of it you have to put it out there yeah. that's kind of part you know um what or who inspires you am i allowed to mention names sure <laughs> <laughs> um no just everyday people because they're the people that you know on any level you can be inspired so the, you know and through my work I get to see people helping other people you know if I'm photographing an event or anything so inspiration it's not somebody famous it's mm. uh, it's everyday people that struggle or work hard you just don't know where they find the time to put in the time and the stuff they do so 
and um, there's no individuals just lots of people like that and then you know there's there's musicians that help other musicians and younger musicians like they're you know without looking for anything in return they're just giving give, anybody that gives stuff back yeah. without the expectation themselves you know? that's cool um could you describe Sligo with a name of a song or a poetry or three words with a song with a a lyric, poetry, even 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 two or three words, four words. Um, well, I think we're. I well, I suppose the word the words. I think we are blessed, not in the religious sense. We're just blessed to live where we are because we're we're kind of like right on the edge. We've we've everything we want. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can you know we can see everything from around the world. So we've everything we want, and we're living in a beautiful place. And sometimes we're far enough away from the madness and the violence. That's why we're blessed. If it was on our doorstep, we'd be caught up in the middle of it. But for our lifetime, or for whatever part of our lifetime that you can avoid, you know, we w- witness all these tra- tragedies and stuff, mm-hmm. and you know, the violence in the world. Yet this young fella heading off, um, he's going over now to be one of the spotters off the coast, watching the, the refugees trying to escape. All right. Yeah, and I was talking to him the other day, and imagine that being your life, having to get up and cross dangerous water with your family and your kids. Imagine that. So for every day we're alive, no matter how we all have troubles in our headspace and everything and mental health problems, right now, for the majority of people living in Sligo, like we're blessed to just live here. If it alleviates any of your problems, we're blessed to live here. You still have your all your further stuff going on. And Sligo is a lot on at the moment. Mm. Like there is a lot on. There's a lot of gigs. On. Wish I could get to them. Yeah, <laughs> no, the sure. You know, we're the same. And uh, everybody, um, like, I think that's the one. One yeah. thing is that either people are gigging or they're not yeah. working. Yeah. Terms, you know. And I and we're gigging more than ever now. So, but a lot of the stuff that I've seen, I go, I like, I will get to see that again. I know I will because I go to a lot of live music, and uh, you know, even bands I've worked with and stuff. You know, so I'm lucky that. I'm lucky in that respect. I'm lucky just even the fact that my kids are getting older and more time to get away and go to stuff. Yeah. Finally, Colin, um, this last part is known as title of episode. And what I do for every episode is that I write down different sayings or different parts okay. that you mentioned. It yeah. might have randomness, yeah. but it kind of makes it for an interesting title for okay. the episode. What is your so, number one is look around the room. Okay, yeah. Number two is what's the budget? <laughs> well, no, I don't want that. <laughs> okay. No, no, that's, that's <laughs> tongue-in-cheek. That so, number three is sometimes it's just a line. Okay, yeah. And number four is it's not all bricks and mortar. Okay. Number five is bullshit factor. Yeah. And number six is everyday people. Well, I think out of all of those, um, and this might sound random, but it's from an observation point of view. Look around the room. If you look around the room, even at a gig, no matter what you're doing, and being a photographer, that's what I do. I'll walk in. You know, I'll, I'll always scout the place if I can. You know, I never, even with it, if we land to a gig, we, you know, I'll walk in before I bring in any instrument, anything. I'll walk in first and I'll look around the room to get a sense of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm in the middle of it, I'm also looking around the room, and it's the same, be it photo or music. I want to see, and oftentimes, and one of the times, like, in the middle of that Richie Havens gig, like, I went up to the side of the stage, and I looked around the room, because I'm looking to see what's happening to people, how are they engaging with the gig, and I remember them all being, and you were there, we were all, like, in worship, like, it was like the power he had over us. But I was at the side of the stage, that was probably, um, it was pre-renovation mm-hmm. of the venue, so I was looking to see how is this room working for this gig with that audience as well. And so everywhere I go, I look around the room and I try and take something from it, learn from it and plan the escape route, escape route, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just take in the people that are there. So I'm watching all the time, kind of in a way. Let's go. So look around the room. Look around the room. Thanks so much, Colin. Yeah, thank you. And thanks yourself, and see what you're doing as well, and giving your time to do this, you know, while we've spoken about it. Like, it's not directly, you know, you're not getting paid to do this, you're doing this because you want to do it, and it's interesting, and that's why I want to support you, and, you know, we've got together and do this, so I'll support you in whatever way, because I think what you're doing is interesting, 
and you're supporting musicians by showing an interest and a respect to them as well and listening to what they say and it's about listening and looking around the room. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks, for Thanks very much. Thanks I'd just like to thank Colin Gillen for being part of this podcast. Also, I'd like to thank Paul and all the staff at Thomas Connolly's for allowing me to record this episode on the premises. You can find all of Colin's information, band links, and Instagram links below. Until next time, I'm Stephen Cahoney, and you've been listening to Sligo Sounds Podcast.